Morning. I'm, I'm Pastor Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, excited to be sharing the word as we continue our, our study in Genesis. Um, you can grab your Bibles and or devices and turn to Genesis chapter 24 as we kind of end up the, the story of Abraham and move into the story of Isaac. Um, I have an exciting thing coming up here next week. Um, my wife and I, Sherry, will be celebrating 25 years together. Um, yeah, she was, yeah, she was really young when we got married, so, and she skipped a few years, but, um, you know, when we, when I, I transferred colleges to Liberty University, and, um, I, I was single and looking for someone, obviously, as most 20-somethings are, and, um, the, I walked in to get my card for my, for the cafeteria, and when I did, there was this vision of a creature sitting at the table handing out the, the cafeteria cards. And I looked at her and I said, that is the most beautiful person I have ever seen in my life. I could not believe there was anyone that was that lovely. Um, and so it took me some time until I realized that we, had, that was Sherry, by the way, just in case anyone's <laughs> wondering. Uh, no worries there. Um, and we had mutual friends and I um, kind of uh, cajoled them and, and finally got a date with Sherry, and uh, it was interesting because, you know, most first dates, it's like, let's go to a movie and hang out or whatever. This was a very different situation. Um, she said, I'm, I'm not interested in dating at all. So um, we went and got coffee, and we sat down, and the conversation went something like this. Look, I- I've had enough with dating. I'm tired of games. Here's what I'm looking for in a husband, and this, 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 and if you don't like these things, you might as well just not call me again, because it's, it's, I'm just not, I'm just not there. And I, and I was like, went home from that date and I went to my roommate and I said, I think I'm going to marry her. <laughs> and, um, and sure enough, I did. I, I tricked her long enough to, to get her down the aisle. And I remember uh, vividly thinking that there's, there's no way I can be this lucky. There's no way that I, that I got this girl to marry me. When I saw her coming down the aisle, just dressed in her, in her white dress, and it was overwhelming the, how much love I had in my heart for her. And that has continued for 25 years through good times, through bad times, through rich and poor and more poor and some other poor, and lots and lots of, of challenges that God has allowed us to, to work together through. And knowing that um, I don't have to walk this life alone, but God has given me someone that is far greater than I deserve and far greater than I could ever have asked for um, has changed my life and proven to me over and over again the goodness of God in my life. Um, She's a a wonderful woman. If you don't know her, you should. And um, uh, I love her. Um, The reason I tell you all that is because we're getting ready to talk about an interesting occasion of a, a husband and a wife meeting for the first time, and it is really the first time in Genesis and in the Bible that we see this kind of process of how a husband and a wife would come to make this covenant relationship together. So look at um, look in chapter 24 to catch you up at this point. The last time we saw Isaac, um, he had just been almost sacrificed, and um, he had been rescued by God, and a ram had been provided. Um, for Abraham to to sacrifice for the Lord. So that's kind of the last thing that we see. 
Um, as we start chapter 24, um, Abraham is even older, but he has come to found, uh, found favor with the Hittites where he is, so he's gained quite a bit of wealth. Um, he has settled in there in Canaan, and um, his wife Sarah has recently died, um, and Sarah was uh, a great, um, was Isaac's comfort, and th- that was, Isaac was their only child, so um, Isaac obviously is, is pretty upset about that. So join in Genesis 24, 1. So Abraham was now old, getting on in years, and the Lord had blessed him in everything. Abraham said to his servant, the elder of his household, who managed all he owned, place your hand under my thigh, and I will have you swear by the Lord, God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, but will go to my land and my family to take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, suppose the woman is unwilling to follow me to this land. Should I have your son go back to the land you came from? Abraham answered him, make sure that you don't take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my native land, who spoke to me and swore to me, I will give this land to your offspring. He will send his angel before you and you can take a wife for my son from there. So a couple things about this. First of all, um, this whole, there's a lot of kind of weirdities that we'll read throughout this passage and throughout Genesis that don't make a lot of sense to me. When I want someone to make a promise to me, I do not say to them, come put your hand under my thigh. That's weird, right? That's a very, but what it shows is an intimacy between Abraham and his servant. Um, Also, notice that that doesn't give the name of the servant, but it's a pretty good, we, we can we can kind of figure that his name is probably Eliezer, which earlier in Genesis, when Abraham doesn't have a child and he goes to God and he says, I don't have anybody to inherit all my wealth, I guess it's all going to go to Eliezer, who is not part of my family. He was not part of this um, God-believing, God-fearing family. So he was kind of an outsider, but he came in as the main servant for Abraham. So Eliezer does mean God is my help. So Abraham sent his servant and says, go back home where I'm from. Don't pick a wife from here in Canaan where I'm at. Go back home, find a wife for Isaac, and bring her back here. Why is that important? Because, see, God had promised the people of Abraham, his generations, that they would possess the land of Canaan. He did not say, go back home when you get tired here and when things get hard. He had promised them the land of, Abraham, of, of Canaan, and Abraham knew that. So he didn't want Isaac to go back home, get comfortable, get settled in, find his wife. His wife says, well, you know, my family's here. What, about how, what do we do when the kids come? That He didn't want that to happen. He knew that bringing a wife to Canaan would mean that Isaac would likely stay there. So it's an important thing for him to understand. And notice as well in, chapter, in verse 7 that Abraham knew that God was going to send an angel ahead of time to prepare the way for the servant and to find the woman that would end up becoming the wife of Isaac. Let's keep reading in verse 9. So the servant placed his hand under his master Abraham's thigh and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. The servant took ten of his master's camels, and with all kinds of his master's goods, goods in hand, he went to Aram Naharim to Nahor's town. That's probably said wrong, and I don't, I don't care. Um, at, evening, at evening, the time when women went out to draw water, he made the camels kneel beside a well outside the town. Lord God of my master Abraham, he prayed, make this happen for me today and show kindness to my master Abraham. I'm standing here at the spring where the daughters of the men of the town are coming out to draw water. 
let the girl to whom I say, please lower your water jug so that I may drink, and who responds, drink and I'll water your camels also, let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So this servant, I'm going to call him Eleazar because I like that name. It says, I'm going to go, takes his camels. So he takes 10 camels. In, the, in that day, camels were a, a big sign of wealth. So if you had a bunch of camels, you were probably doing pretty well. So he takes 10 camels. He gets on them and he rides like around the corner, right? 10, 15 minutes to the 7-Eleven. That's not at all what happened here. It is probably, we don't know exactly where and when, but it is probably around 300 miles to go back to where Abraham came from. That's a long way, right? On a camel. Has anyone ever read a camel? Ridden a camel? It is not fun. Let me tell you, those, those humps are not, that is not, they're not designed. They don't have shocks. They don't, I mean, it's pretty miserable. So this servant gets on his camel and he travels for roughly two weeks on the back of a camel to go back home so that he can find a bride for his, ser- for his master's son. It's a long way. And then he goes and prays to his master's God. Very interesting here because it says, Lord, God of my master Abraham. That's an interesting point here because it shows us something really interesting about God and about this whole, in this whole world that they live in, that although this man did not come from the line of Abraham, he understood the God of Abraham. Although he did not know himself, he did not have that word from God that had spoken to him like Abraham did, he had seen what God had done in the life of Abraham in providing him his children and helping him find favor in Canaan. And so he was able to go to the God of Abraham and ask this of him. So what does he ask? He says, okay, I'm going to bring these camels up here and I'm going to ask a girl to give us some water. And, and when I do that, have her also say, I'll, feed, I'll give water to your camels and then I'll know that's the one. Very, very interesting. Let's keep reading here in verse 15. Lord God of my master, oh, I'm sorry, 15. Before he had finished speaking, there was Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, coming with a jug on her shoulder. Now the girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had been intimate with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please, let me have a little water from your jug. She replied, drink, my lord. She quickly lowered her jug to her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll also draw water for your camels until they have had enough to drink. She quickly emptied her jug into the trough and hurried to the well again to draw water. She drew water for all his camels, while the man silently watched her to see whether or not the Lord had made his journey a success. As the camels finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel for her wrists Two bracelets weighing ten shekels of gold. Whose daughter are you, he asked. Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She also said to him, we have plenty of straw and feed and a place to spend the night. So this servant goes to the Lord and says, God, this is what I'm looking for. And then exactly what he asked for happens immediately. Rebecca comes and she says, take some water. And then he says, and before he even asks, she says, how about your camels too? So um, I looked up this week because I'm not a camel expert. I wanted to see how much does a camel drink? It's a, it's a logical question here because if she's going to feed water 10 camels, you need to know, like, what does that really mean? And, and what I found is that they can drink 20 gallons of water at a time. 
in one sitting. So you got some dry camels that have just spent two weeks on the road coming into this town. They show up at the well, and this woman says to him, not only am I going to give you some water with a jug in a well, of all things, I'm going to, I'm going to also water all your camels. So she's pulling out 200 gallons of water in a jug out of a well without being asked. Pretty incredible. I mean, I have never done that. If you show up at my house with camels, they can, they can give them themselves their water. I'm not doing that for you. But it's just a sign that God had prepared in advance exactly what was going to happen in the situation. And he had provided Rebecca with both the, the work ethic and the heart to be able to serve as only God could, could provide. Very interesting. So in verse 22, it talks about what happens after the camels drink. And this man, Eleazar, took a gold ring weighing half a shekel, and for her wrist, two bracelets weighing 10 shekels of gold. Um, Again, it's interesting in the Old Testament because um, we see these things like shekel, and we see other weights and measures, and, and we don't have anything really to reference that by because it doesn't say that this is how much a shekel is, this is how much this is, this is how much this is. So we kind of have to look at historical data to see what would that be? And the closest that I could find is in ancient Babylon, um, a, a shekel, two shekels were a month's wages for, for kind of a normal worker. So we can kind of extrapolate that. This gold bracelet that, that the servant gave to her is worth a lot of money, probably four, five, six months worth of income. Um, he puts it on a wrist to show that, look, I, I'm not some nobody here. I'm honoring you, and look, the, when, when she, he presents that to her, it's a treasure. It's something really special. It's not just a trinket. He doesn't say, here, here's a couple coins. Thanks for feeding my camels. He honors her with an with a, a incredibly wealthy gift that she would probably not have had on her own. Look at his response there in verse 26. So it says, Then the man knelt low, worshiped the Lord, and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. There it is again, the God of my master Abraham, who has not withheld his kindness and faithfulness from my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. The girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and Laban ran out to the man at the spring. Keep that name in mind, because here in a few weeks, you're going to probably hear it again. As soon as he had seen the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he heard his sister Rebecca's word, the man said this to me. He went to the man. He was standing there by the camels at the spring. And Laban said, come, you who are blessed by the Lord. Why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house, and the camels were unloaded. Straw and feed were given to the camels, and water was brought to wash his feet and the feet of the men with him. A meal was set before him. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to, to, to say. So Laban said, please speak. So we're going to take a quick break here because this is an interesting time because we don't see the father of Rebecca at all in this. What we do see is the brother and the mother, um, which would not have been a kind of traditional setting. Generally, what would happen is in this time um, in, in marriage, what would happen is the groom would come to the house, he would meet with the father, they would see if it was a good match, and then the father or the family would offer a dowry to the people, to to the man who is going to take the bride. So essentially, not really, okay, don't get mad at me, it's just the way it was, the, the father would pay the husband, the groom, to take the wife, right? 
That's not what happens here at all. It's see how different that is from the norms of the time. So normally, if you have this dowry, but that's exactly the opposite of what happens here. In this situation, we see that this servant has come not to gain something from the family, not to take from the family of Laban and Rebekah, but to give. He comes to bring a gift that is of great wealth to to this family. It kind of flips on its head this whole relationship that you would see of marriage in ancient times. And, and that's exactly what's happened here, that he has provided these gifts. And when they see that gifts, it's got to be pretty exciting um, to the family. Uh, as we continue to read, we find something interesting that he does in Genesis, the writer does quite a lot. And it's a little bit um, irritating because he's getting ready to repeat the entire story that he just... <laughs> told. He's like, okay, here's exactly what happens. And then he goes and he goes to speak to Laban and he says, um, here's the entire story. And I just want to say, you could just go back to the beginning of the chapter and read it again because it's like exactly the same words. So we're going to skip a few verses. If you want to read it, you can. You can go back to it. It's wonderful. It's wonderful writing. It's wonderful story, but it's also exactly what we just read. So um, go over to verse 48. This is the end of his retelling of the story. Then I, the servant, knelt low, worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who guided me on the right way to take the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you're going to show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. If not, tell me, and I will go elsewhere. Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. We have no choice in the matter. Rebekah is here in front of you. Take her and go, and let her be a wife for your master's son, just as the Lord had spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed to the ground before the Lord. Then he brought out objects of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious gifts to her brother and her mother. Then he and the men with him ate and drank and spent the night. When they got up in the morning, he said, send me to my master. But her brother and mother said, let the girl stay with us for about 10 days, then she can go. But he responded to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has made my journey a success. Send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, let's call the girl and ask her opinion. They called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She replied, I will go. So they they sent away their sister Rebecca with the one who had nursed and raised her, an Abraham's servant and his men. They blessed Rebecca, saying to her, our sister, may you become thousands upon ten thousands. May your offspring possess the city gates of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her female servants got up, mounted the camels, and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Again, very different from what we would expect to see in an ancient culture where wedding. Generally, what would happen is after this dowry had been paid, they would prepare for this wedding, and then they would have a massive feast. It could last a week, um, and, and everybody would be together. It would be a time of, they would have a time of preparation before the wedding, and then they would have this feast time. And in this case, that's not possible because they're getting ready to get on camels and go 300 miles back to Canaan so that they can have this marriage. Um, And so when they they say to Rebecca, will you go? It's a big deal. She's giving up on a lot of her kind of dreams of what her wedding would be, her marriage would be, because she's leaving her family to go 300 miles away. She likely would, she would not expect to have seen her family again. It's a really long way in ancient times. And she goes back and she finds her husband. Look in verse 61, I'm sorry, in 62. 
Then Rebecca, then now Isaac was returning from Beer Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev region. In the early evening, Isaac went out for a walk in the field, and looking up, he saw camels coming. Rebecca looked up, and when she saw Isaac, she got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? The servant answered, It is my master. So he took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac everything he had done, and Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah and took Rebekah to be his wife. Isaac loved her, and he was comforted after his mother's death. Beautiful picture, right? It's a beautiful thing to see that God has provided this wife to Isaac in a way that only he can, only he could. I mean, how many women are, feeding, are, are watering all the camels? Probably not many. So God has provided this. And if we turn over to chapter 25, we can kind of see um, how God continued to work in their lives to be able to sustain the covenant that he had promised with Abraham. Look at verse 21. So Isaac prayed to, this is uh, chapter 25, verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord was receptive to his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, conceived. But the children inside her struggled with each other. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two nations will come from you and will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When her time came to give birth, they were, there were indeed twins in her womb. The first one came out red looking, covered with hair like a fur coat, and they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out grasping Esau's heel with his hand, so he was Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. God was faithful to provide for Isaac and Rebekah and Abraham to maintain the promise that he had made with, with Abraham for them to become a great nation. It's incredible. Just taken in and of itself, is, that's enough to see that Isaac and Rebekah saw the work of God in their lives in miraculous and wonderful ways that only God could do. Um, because without God, Rebekah would never have found Isaac. Isaac would st probably still be wandering around in the desert somewhere in the Negev, like, I wonder where I'm going to find a wife. And that's, that's, that's not what God was allowing. God said, I'm going to provide in a way that only I can. And it was a beautiful picture of the covenant grace and mercy of God in and of itself. But there's much more to this story because what happens in these early books of the Bible is these stages are set for the rest of the Bible. You see that what happens in early Genesis is referenced throughout the rest of Scripture. You see that people will refer back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see that things that happen go are told on and on and on, and these illustrations become part of the very foundation of the people of Israel and then become a foundation of the church. So this is the first real kind of wedding that we see happen here. But what we soon see is that the language of wedding and marriage and bridegroom and groom becomes intrinsic to the people of Israel in a very special way because God establishes Israel and he says, in Genesis chapter 17, I will be your God and you will be my people. 
That is covenantal marriage language. That is joining together something in a permanent way that is really, really impactful. And as we begin to read through the Old Testament, you start to see really cool things like you get to Ruth and you see this kinsman-redeemer relationship where the wedding becomes something that is not just about Boaz and Ruth, but it's also about the relationship that God has with his people. You read Song of Solomon and you see these incredible stories about loving husband and wife, and we read it and we know that Solomon loved this woman deeply, but we also understand that that is also kind of a stand-in for how God loves the people of Israel. And it's amazing to see because as you see, look in Ezekiel chapter 16 and verses 10 through 14. This is what God says about the people of Israel. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry, just like Eleazar did, right? And I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck, and I put a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was honey, olive oil, and the finest flour. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen, and your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty, because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. So this is language that God is speaking about the people of Israel in a very intimate almost marital relationship. And you see that there becomes this relationship where God is known as the bridegroom and Israel is the bride. It's beautiful language. Unfortunately, the people of Israel um, were not a faithful bride. And so time and time again, as we continue on in scripture, we find these stories where, where Israel would turn from God, turn from the one who loved them and formed them and made them and, and covenanted with them and walked away from him, completely walked away. And it was, it's terrible to read because you see God looking at Israel and saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. And Israel turning away and saying, I'm choosing this God. I'm choosing this other husband. And so you begin to see throughout the Old Testament, this language kind of begins to come in about how these people are an adulterous generation. The people of Israel were no longer being faithful to the God who had called them. And again, the language of marriage comes into her. In Hosea chapter 2, we read this, Therefore, I am now going to allure her, God, again, calling his people back. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. I will betroth you to me forever." I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. You see that God is continuously going after, pursuing the people of Israel with a passionate, undying love that nothing else could match. As many times as Israel turned away from God, God was pursuing them, loving them, willing them back, desperately hoping that they would turn back to him in faithfulness. And he would send messenger after messenger after messenger in the form of prophets and kings and people who would speak to the people of Israel and call them back to holiness. Be holy, 
be God's people like he has called you to, like he has covenanted with us to be, and yet they would come back for a little bit of time and they would turn away. And God would send another messenger and they would come back and, he would, and they would go away and they would come back. In Isaiah 54, verses one through eight, he says, sing, barren woman, you who have never born a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your curtain wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settled in the desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Over and over and over again, the messengers go out, the people of Israel hear, for a minute they remember, and then they turn away from him. And in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, Israel asks, how have you loved us? You see, at the end of this whole Old Testament, all of the stories of God's love, all of the stories of his mercy, his kindness, his provision, and it comes to the end of this this Old Testament, and after all of that, you find the bride, Israel, asking God, how have you loved me? How have you loved me? And we want to point at him and say, how can you not see how God has loved you? How can you not see the goodness that God has given you? How can you not see the relationship that he has desperately tried to form with you over and over and over and over and over and over again, and yet you turned away from him? How have you loved us? And then silence. And then silence. The Old Testament ends. And then this weirdo comes on the scene wearing camel. It's got to be camels, right? Camel hair, eating locusts and wild honey in the desert. And he's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist, sent before Jesus, comes as another messenger to call the people back to the God of their youth. God sends another messenger time after time after time. And here's John the Baptist. And what he says, what he says in John chapter 3, 29 says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete because Jesus, Jesus the bridegroom has arrived. He has arrived on scene to call his people back to relationship with him in a way that is profound and beautiful and lovely. And Jesus came and he died to pay the cost for the people who had continuously turned their back on him. And even more so, 
If you look at what he says in John chapter 14, not only has he come to call us back, he, he says in John chapter 14, verses two and three, in my father's house are many rooms. If it, were not for, if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus came and has now gone to begin to prepare a place for his bride to come back to him, to be reunited at the end of time in an amazing reunification. And it's going to be a time of celebration and wonder as we see Jesus for who he really is. As we, the church, who is his bride, come before Lord God, the bridegroom. Look what it says in, a chap, in Ephesians chapter 5. This is Paul. Uh, I, you know, Paul's single, all right? So we're going to take it with, you know, he's single. Talking to, to spouses, it's always like, okay, Paul. But um, in this chapter, it's really, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without splot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. That's amazing. Jesus came and died for the church. Jesus came and died for the body of believers that would be uh, his bride, ultimately. Think about that for just a second, that like, I'm, I'm talking to you individually, but I'm talking to us corporately as a body. How many of you ever been involved in a church? You should all be raising your hand now, because you're all here, Right? How many of you have ever been in the perfect church? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody. Okay. Um, how many of you have ever been in a church that has had some issues? Right? Uh, anyone been in a church where the wedding dress has got a little, like, like dirt on the leg here? Because, you know, and they're like, maybe their, their eyes a little bit bloody. And, uh, you know, maybe the, the sleeve is kind of ripped off over here because they've had a little bit of infighting. And, and maybe this church, this bride, this part of the bride over here is, is kind of kicking the teeth in of this church over here. And it's like... Wait, wait, what are, what are we doing here? Jesus came to present for us as a body of believers beautifully cared for, loved, cherished, honored, washed, holy, cleansed, spotless, and splendor with no wrinkles. God did not do that because he hates you. God did not do that because he doesn't care about you. God did not do that except that he loves you, that he loves us. He has called us to something greater. We are not just a collection of people who come together on a Sunday morning because there's nothing better to do. He doesn't call us to be this group of people who come together because we like what each other wear or because the music is good or because they have donuts or because the coffee is okay. He didn't do that. God didn't call us together just to be a social club. God called us together to be the body of Christ, to be his bride, to be the one that represents him in this world. If you had someone who was your bride, your spouse, and they were out in the world and they were walking around, how would you want them to, to look? How would you want them to present themselves? Would you want them to, to represent you or would you want them to represent anything else? We, as the body of, of Christ, as the bride of Christ, are called to something greater. We are called to be different. We are called to stand in the world and say, don't look at me, don't look at me, 
because I'm nothing special. Look at God. Look what God has done in my life. My story is this. Not that I was great and I came to God and everything was wonderful, but God, in his infinite mercy from time beginning, from Abraham, began to set the stage for him to do a work in our lives to create something beautiful beyond anything we could ever understand, to cleanse us because of his grace, his mercy, his wonderful power, so that we can stand in this world to day before the people, and when they look at us, they don't see us. They don't see people who are trying really hard. They see the beauty of an incredible God who from the beginning of time has created for us something special, a place with him. We should be calling people into this incredible relationship everywhere we go. I'm part of this body. I'm part of this bride. I'm part of something special. You want to be part of it with me? Because God will work to cleanse you as well. Just like Eleazar went and gave these gifts to the family of Rebecca and didn't expect anything back, it's the same thing with God. Jesus came and died for you and me. He said, it's enough. That's enough. I've paid the price. I've paid the price for you and for me. Why does this matter? Because if we fast forward to the end, we see something really special. Revelation chapter 19. This is pretty cool. Not very often you get to go to the first book and the last book in the Bible in the same thing. Revelation chapter 19 said this. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. And then in, verse, in chapter 21, we see this, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a what? A bride adorned for her husband. We have this hope that one day we will see him And when he sees us, when he looks at us, when he looks at his church, his body, and his bride, he will look at us with the loving eyes that are far, far, far more loving than I could ever have shown for Sherry. As much as I loved her, as much as I thought she was beautiful, God loves us more. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for loving us enough to come for us. Lord, thank you for not um, putting us aside when we were so unworthy. You are a good God. You are far better to us than we deserve. We love you, God. We thank you. Help us to represent you well. We pray these things in Jesus' name.